and welcome to Standard Precautions and Beyond, Conversations in Infection Prevention and Control, a podcast for the Alabama Regional Center for Infection Prevention and Control, Training and Technical Assistance, or ARC-IPC. My name is Mina Nabavi, and I'm a program manager with the ARC-IPC at the University of Alabama at Birmingham's School of Public Health. The Omicron variant continues to shatter records in the United States. We're learning more about the new variant, and so far it seems to spread faster but cause less severe illness than previous variants. There is a lot of speculation about the Omicron surge and its aftermath. To help us answer these questions and for a look at how 2022 might unfold, we invited Dr. Suzanne Judd to join us for this podcast. Dr. Judd is the director of the Lister Hill Center for the Health Policy and a professor in the School of Public Health at UAB. Dr. Judd, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mina. So to get us started, we know COVID infections are increasing, but what about deaths and hospitalizations? So we're actually not seeing the same increase in deaths and hospitalizations that we have seen with other surges. Deaths are a little bit far behind, um, so I, I wouldn't rely on the data we have for deaths yet. We can look at what South Africa saw if we want an indication, but here in Alabama, it does take a couple of weeks for deaths to get reported, but the hospitalizations are, are pretty accurate right now. And our hospitalization rate is about one third of what we saw with the most recent Delta surge. So this is really showing that hospitalizations are coming down in terms of the number of people hospitalized per case. Um, which is a promising sign for this particular virus. That's good to hear. So how does this surge of infections compare to the worst peak last winter and the most recent peak um, with Delta later in 2021? It's so tough to compare um, because of the fact that if we were talking cases, the number of cases that are being reported to the Alabama Department of Public Health, we are just skyrocketing right now. And probably some of you sitting out there, you've had conversations with family and friends and you know people that are actually testing positive with COVID right now. So at least for myself, this is one time during the pandemic when I'm actually knowing people and and hearing of of, um, close friends that are testing positive. So it's really a little bit different when we look at cases. Same thing was seen in New York City. Uh, Same thing was seen in South Africa. Just, you know, incredible numbers of cases, numbers that we've never seen before. Now, if we talk about hospitalizations, they're actually not on a record-breaking pace. They're uh, definitely higher than we would like them, a little bit higher than what makes us comfortable. Um, We'd prefer a few less. But interestingly, those hospitalizations um, are not as as severe as some of the hospitalizations we've seen in the past. People are less likely to be on a ventilator, and we're finding these COVID hospitalizations because people come in for reasons totally unrelated to COVID something like a car accident or a heart attack. They wind up in the hospital and test positive for COVID, but didn't even know they have it. And related to that, related to cases, you know, a lot of people seem to be testing at home. So we're not even getting those numbers. Those numbers aren't even being collected, right? That's correct. Most numbers that are tested at home are not reported to the health department unless the person uh, goes and gets a confirmatory test. Let's say I tested at home and then I called my doctor and said, I'd like to get another test. The test from your doctor's office would likely be sent to the Alabama Department of Public Health, but that home test isn't. So we could be undercounting cases by as much as a factor of 10, to be honest with you. How far away are we from the peak of this current surge? 
we're about two or three weeks out. Uh, if we follow South Africa, South Africa it was about four weeks of really strong case growth, and then they, they dropped off almost immediately. Interestingly, New York City uh, was the first place in the U.S. that started reporting Omicron at high levels. They've started peaking as well and coming back down. The last four days in New York City, they've seemed to be on the downswing. Their peak was almost exactly four weeks long, too. Washington, D.C. also had an early peak, and in the last two days, they're showing signs of coming back down. So it really looks like this is about a four to five week uh, surge that, that's followed with very rapid reductions in cases. So all in all, maybe mid-January to late January for that peak, which means that we won't be really comfortable again in the state until early February. That was one of my follow-up questions about how can we compare our surge to what happened in South Africa or our populations and situations too different to compare? It's really tough to compare because vaccination rates differ. It's actually summer in South Africa right now. Um, so it, there are a couple of things that make it a little bit difficult, but I will say the fact that New York City, which has a really high vaccination rate, is in, in the middle of winter, um, has almost the same epidemic curve as South Africa, which has a very low vaccination rate and in the middle of summer, that tells us that this could have a pretty predictable uh, behavior in terms of how long the peak lasts. So because of how fast Omicron spreads, how does that impact traditional public health strategies like testing, contact tracing, isolation and quarantine? It makes it really challenging, especially contact tracing. If you can imagine that we have roughly 10 times as many people infected and testing positive as, as at other times in the pandemic, and we didn't have contact tracing resources back then, it just is it, almost impossible to do what we would call traditional contact tracing of everyone infected. We can do small populations, so that's one, one thing that you're seeing more of now, where people will do isolated contact tracing of a classroom or a, a, a large event, a gathering, and do the tracing from that, you know, say 100, 150 people, but to do it on every case just isn't gonna be feasible. So that means we're going to have slightly different information with this surge than what we've had in previous surges because the, the resources needed to test and to um, call folks that are infected, it's just more than we have. So I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, vaccination rates in the United States and Alabama. Do you have the um, updated numbers to share with listeners today? Yeah, and a lot of people, um, this is one of the questions I get from folks, how are we doing in terms of vaccination? It's a little bit more tricky now than it used to be because of the booster um, and knowing what fully vaccinated means these days. But as of today, we've got about 2.7 million people vaccinated um, with at least one dose in the state of Alabama. And we have about 49 million or uh, 4.9 million people. So that's about um, 60, 65% that have received at least one dose. Um, not nearly where we want to be, especially because we know that it really takes two doses for the mRNA vaccines and maybe even that third dose um, in most populations. So in terms of people that are would be completed fully vaccinated on the CDC's website, we're down at around 38 or 40 percent. Do you have any anything with children or teens yet? Specific to children and teens in Alabama, I don't have it. Uh, countrywide or as a nation, we have roughly 42% of children that are eligible vaccinated. So Omicron is so infectious that it has led some to speculate that it may help us reach herd immunity. Could it? 
you know, I've given up on herd immunity with this one. Um, the, the premise of herd immunity is that enough people have antibodies and can't be reinfected. That works really well with something like measles, where reinfection rates are incredibly low. It doesn't work so well with coronaviruses. And your typical coronavirus that would cause a seasonal cold, you know, a lot of people forget that because um, they, they think about COVID and it's, uh, it's so much different than a cold. But the virus that causes COVID-19 is actually a virus that we see uh, regularly with coronaviruses. And coronaviruses typically have very short-lived immunity. We're talking six months that, that uh, your immune system, you build it up and then it kind of wanes and, and you can be reinfected again. It's a very normal trajectory. Other bugs that work that way that people might be familiar with out there are what we call stomach bugs. Stomach bugs work the same way. You get infected. You typically have some period where you're free from it, but then you can be reinfected. And those of you with small children, you may have even gone through this in your house where uh, your child comes home with a GI bug, they get you sick, uh, the child seems to get better, and then three or four weeks they're reinfected again. So uh, I don't think herd immunity can happen with SARS-CoV-2. I just think that, that it's behaving far more like a regular coronavirus, and that means that we're going to have um, these cycles of, of high levels of immunity and low levels of immunity. So knowing that, are there changes or things that we can be doing now to reduce the transmission of Omicron before we, you know, as we, as we near the, the peak of this surge? Absolutely. Limiting your time in public. Um, so what, whether that's, you know, going to uh, restaurants or large events, the next two or three weeks, this would be a good time to kind of hunker down and avoid those things. Um, maybe reschedule any kind of family gatherings that you have planned that anything you can do to keep your gathering sizes under about 10 people, that just limits the probability that you're going to come in contact with someone that is, um, has the Omicron version right now. The other thing you can do if you do have to go in public, lots of folks have to for their jobs or um, you know, they just can't get out of obligations, wear a mask, any mask. Uh, the best masks you can wear are the N95s, but only if you've been properly fitted and you know how to wear it. Otherwise, just wear what the mask that you have available. If you're worried about yourself and you're trying to keep yourself safe, you'll definitely want the, a tighter fitting mask with more layers like an N95 or double up on one of those cloth masks with a disposable mask underneath it. And you will probably want to consider protecting your eyes as well. Uh, a lot of the droplets that um, come out when people sneeze or cough or talk, they can actually go into the body through the eyes and infect you in that way. So it's keeping the, the, the mouth, the nose, and the eyes covered um, to decrease the chances that you come in contact with the virus um, if you do have to go into a setting where there are a lot of folks that are outside of your, your COVID pod or your social circle. And the other traditional public health measures of hand washing and staying home if you are experiencing symptoms and getting tested if you do experience symptoms, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, hand washing is very important, especially before you touch your eyes, nose, and mouth. Make sure you're washing your hands. Uh, the testing is important too, but I'm, I'm hearing from folks that it's really hard to find a test right now. So it's understandable that that uh, may have people frustrated. Are there any other variants that we should be concerned with or at the very least aware of? Dr. Judd, can you look into your crystal ball? <laughs> That's the million dollar question. The truth of the matter is we can't predict how this thing will, will mutate. Um, we can look at history and we can, we can speculate based on what history has shown us. And 
It should make people feel a little bit better that most viruses do tend to mutate in a way that makes them less lethal, exactly what we're seeing with SARS-CoV-2. That's to the virus's advantage. Um, if you think about a virus when, and what it wants to do is be able to survive and multiply, it's in that virus's advantage to, uh, to be able to jump from one person to the next as rapidly as possible and not kill the person because then that person can spread it to somebody else. It's also to the virus's advantage to be mild so that the person doesn't feel like they're sick. They go out in public and they, they spread it. So honestly, what we're seeing with Omicron is, is something historically that we've seen with other viruses where they start to mutate into a less, um, a less lethal version but there's no way to guarantee this one won't do something odd. Now I'm gonna ask you to look into the crystal ball again. What are the long-term prospects for 2022 and beyond? For 2022, I do think we're going to see these regular peaks of uh, COVID. I think that the decision-making process is going to change because if it continues like it has with Omicron and it's fairly mild, the question will be, is this mild enough that we can treat it like uh, a regular upper respiratory infection? Uh, one that doesn't require advanced measures like locking down and closing schools. Uh, so that to me, the crystal ball is more of a, a question of how we handle it when it comes back, because it will come back. Uh, we've seen it now. This is the fourth wave of it. Um, there will be another wave as immunity wanes to this particular version. There will probably be vaccines that stay on the market that people will be able to to um, to get to keep the side effects as low as possible, similar to what we do with the flu. You can get a flu shot every year to minimize your risk of going to the hospital um, or even contracting the flu. So the, I think that's where we're going with this one. I think it's um, probably less likely to be something we're tracking aggressively if it stays mild, because you, you can see right now with the peak that's happening, when you get a, a virus like a coronavirus that just spreads so quickly, it's, it's really impossible to do large-scale testing and, um, and management. I know we're, we're up against our time, but I wanted to ask you if you have any final thoughts or parting words that you want to share with our listeners today. I, I think it's important for folks to take care of yourself, uh, stay healthy the next two or three weeks. And, you know, we're speaking today on January 7th. I'm not sure when folks are listening to it, but really between now and the end of January, try to limit, you know, where you're going. And, and um, you know, if you've got tickets to a large event, maybe wait for three or four weeks before you do that, especially if you're concerned about getting sick, because this will be a time when you'll know a lot of people that have COVID, um, you'll, you're children, your family members, you'll just start to hear about it a lot more than maybe other times in the pandemic. So take care, um, keep yourself safe, get lots of sleep, stay hydrated, and eat a balanced diet. That's, um, those are the things you can do to try to minimize consequences if you do come in contact with a, an infectious disease. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Judd, for this very informative and extremely timely podcast on the Omicron surge and, and what's ahead for 2022. You have provided a lot of information for our listeners, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me on, Mina. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Please tune in next time for another episode of Standard Precautions and Beyond, Conversations in Infection Prevention and Control. 